Hello and welcome to the Region 3 Map Center Anti-Racism Vodcast Series entitled The 20-Minute Talk. The Region 3 Map Center's Anti-Racism Vodcast Series aims to advance anti-racist efforts and support anti-racist activities within school communities across and beyond the MAP Center's 13 state region with a succinct 20-minute discussion led by anti-racist practitioners. This anti-racism podcast episode is focused on how leaders who identify as anti-racist leaders define anti-racist leadership and situate anti-racist leadership within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Tiffany Kaiser and I serve as the Associate Director of Engagement and Partnerships with the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, which I'll refer to moving forward as a MAP Center. And I have the privilege of serving as your host for today. Joined with me is Nikki Coomer, Graduate Assistant at the MAP Center. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, we are also thrilled to have two guests who not only are tremendous practitioners in educational equity work, but also will lead us in affirming and deepening our understanding of anti-racism and engaging and leading anti-racist practices in our school communities within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. So joined with Tiffany and I today are Perry Wilkinson, Education, Equity and Systems Data Specialist at the Southeast Metro Regional Center of Excellence within the Southeast Service Cooperative in Minnesota and Toya Jones, principal at Boulder Hill Elementary within the Community Unit School District 308 located in Illinois. So welcome, Perry and Toya. Hi, Good morning. So I'm super thrilled to have you both for um, this episode of the 20 Minute Talk. And I have two questions for the both of you and I hope Perry, you can kick us off with the first one. So the first question is, what are under, why are understanding, excuse me, the experiences of people of color, particularly African-American and Asian-Americans important to engaging in anti-racist activity during the COVID-19 pandemic? So just your thoughts there. We'll have Perry kick us off and then, and then Toya with any additions. So I think the biggest thing is just the recognition of the, the wide range of of diversity within those two groups, right? Those two, those two racial identities. And so, um, you know, I always like to pull upon my own story of um, being a transracial Korean adoptee, right? And being adopted at 18 months and, and coming to uh, Richfield, Minnesota, right? And growing up in a upper middle, middle upper middle class white suburb mm -hmm. um, surrounded by, by white folks and really raised as a, I mean, I was raised as a white man. And so um, I look at it that way is that that's, you know, 30 years of my life, I'm now 45. For 30 years of my life, I, I had very little recognition of racial difference or really understanding what it truly was. Um, I, I did unpack for much of my 20s, um, a lot of things that had a lot of self-discovery and so forth, but difference to me was always a wrong thing, right? Um, and so as I as I look at it now in, in terms of who I've been since 30, right? As, as spending 30 years as, as what I like to call an agent of the status quo. Mm. Um, I look at now of, you know, especially during COVID is just recognizing that my experience is vastly different from folks that are, you know, first generation Asian immigrants or, you know, things like that, that there are just so many different experiences there and access and how we're perceived and stereotypes are just so incredibly different. And I don't know, don't, I don't know if we as educators have really done a good job of thinking through who actually is in our community and who, what stories are actually out there and how the multiple identities that we have um, really impact education, really impact the um, engagement, especially during COVID-19, right? And so 
are we as leaders sitting down and considering those individual stories? Are we considering how our decisions impact groups that are not traditionally in white spaces, right? Or are not traditionally, um, you know, in dominant culture, right? I, I just feel like um, we always just sit in our own realities, right? And we always just have our own perspectives. And as educators, we think that this is a great idea, but we don't really ask outside of our own great idea think tank, right? Or our own leadership teams. And so if our leadership team is the same six educators and it's the same six educators for the last 10 years, why in the world will we ever be able to impact anything different? Mm-hmm. Right. And so how are we bringing in those Asian American voices, very diverse Asian American voices with so many different experiences, how are we bring in those African American, those black voices that need to be out there, those um, just all of our communities mm-hmm. and, and, and all of our non-dominant cultures and all, all of our non-dominant identities. How are they coming into our space? Because realistically, if we ask who is this working and how do we know, it, it's a struggle. And then if we ask who is this not working for and how do we know? Usually we have some good deficit answers on some of these groups and we, we make excuses or we push it out on them as they're deficient and it's their fault. And that's that anti-Blackness coming in, right? And that's that anti-Asian America coming in. But it's like, are we really recognizing the oppression and the barriers that we're putting up as really a white system, right? And so how are we really identifying our different racial groups, all of our different groups, um, regardless of identity, how are we bringing those in to really consider these COVID-19 decisions and how are we defining engagement? How are we defining respect? How are we defining attendance? How are we being flexible to meet those needs? Because one of the things that I've had to work with with some schools is, well, it's COVID, they're not on, it's okay. But then how are we supporting so they can actually get their education? So how are we supporting these marginalized families and not just dismissing and saying, oh, it's okay. They got, they got a lot going on. Yes, everyone is. And everyone's in a different in a different situation. But then, how are we supporting our, our our learners that need the most support? How are we supporting our families that need the most support, especially during this time with the traumas and the and the things that people are going through? It's it's super important. I think that we're open to other voices and our realities are willing to you know we're making those things visible that aren't in our own reality. Our normal is not normal, right? And our what we believe as normal is not the same for the four three other people I'm looking at on my screen right now right? My normal is totally different than each of yours. And how are we creating spaces and environments where we can actually um, hear those and then adjust and support everyone. So I, I, I just think it comes into that widening of the circle and just how are we really making the invisible visible, right? So those below the line things that we talk about when it comes to the cultural iceberg or the white supremacy culture things, like what are those things that are, that are invisible that we can start bringing to the surface? Um, and I think that's our that's our job as as anti-racist educators during this time, or all the time, but especially during this time. Mm-hmm. This is no, this is great, and it, it this connects to the question we're going to next. What are key practices one can engage in to be anti-racist from your perspective? I guess the first thing I want to start with is when you say the word anti-racist, um, and if we're going to be honest, that word in itself um, has been a word surrounded by a taboo um, and, and, and no one really wants to engage in this, um, this thinking or this digging deep and analyzing of yourself and, and your perspective um, when you attach the word anti-racist to it. Um, so I think for me, some key points and, and they may seem general, um, but, I, but I think they lead to something else um, more specific. Uh, was this whole idea of like, what do you mean? 
And so if we're going to talk about the practices and we're going to start creating action plans and steps around them, we need to identify and define what we mean by anti-racist and, and what define what anti-racist uh, practices look like within our, our district. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we are in this um, place now uh, where diversity and equity is like a common term in, in every district is, and, and businesses are tossing around and added it, adding it to their um, handbooks and all of that. Um, but if you want to, want to be really honest with it, we're, we're throwing words around that we're saying they're interchangeable when they're not, they have completely different meetings, um, more critical meetings. So one to me would be to kind of, um, for your for your organization or your district or yourself, kind of identify what, what I mean by when I say anti-racist. Um, and then anything like this, when you, I mean, we're talking about unpacking and unpacking and disrupting and um, the systems, um, kind of how do you equip yourself with um, approaching or addressing this? Um, and, um, and, and how do you equip yourself with kind of dismantling some of these systems that have been ingrained? Uh, again, like myself, I know that some of these practices are, and, and through my equity work in these last years, I had to dismount and realize, you know, it, it was almost like an unshedding when mm -hmm. I started realizing um, that some of these things that I'm perpetuating um, uh, against individuals who I would have been the kid that 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 I see um, now that that our teachers are struggling with, like that that was my family. I would have been that kid, and so how do we kind of dismantle that? Well, some of that is that. Um, you know, we have to kind of prepare ourselves uh, emotionally because this, this is a very emotional um, um, topic to deal with. But um, not only that, I think equipping ourselves kind of uh, academically or intellectually. And so I, I think about um, it, uh, how in our district we're, we're centering student voice, which is quite important, quite important. But um, it, it, it does not serve if they don't have the words to articulate really what we're talking about. Um, I can say that three years ago, I did not have the words to voice that I have now um, to, to think about. And so um, that, that whole idea of, of knowledge, bringing power, bringing voice, uh, I think is important. So acknowledging that we have to uh, empower people in a way that they can have not only conversations, but they can think crit critically and they can challenge some things within themselves or within um, um, the, the organization or their community or whatever, their family, whatever. Um, and some of that knowledge, it doesn't have to be, uh, uh, um, you know, going back to, to, to seek a degree. It could be watching a, you know, a movie. Um, it could be video, it could be TikTok, I don't, you know, there's a whole lot out there now um, and, and uh, social media and all that has, being very careful though, uh, has opened up some of that. Uh, That's extremely helpful. I'll mirror back and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Perry if there's anything you want to add before Nikki closes us out. So what I, what I heard, Toya, some concrete practices to build on what Perry offered was um, being clear about how your school community defines anti-racism and defines anti-racist practice. 
as a component of that, I also heard once that's done, assessing the extent to which anti-racist practices exist in your school community and position that assessment not as evaluative, but rather as an opportunity for continuous improvement. So having tough, hard conversations with that data to learn and to grow as opposed to positioning it as a form of accountability, which you can, but that's not what I heard from you. First, really use that as a way to, to sort of add to the richness of hopefully hard conversations. Another thing that I heard was um, being really intentional about um, um, in examining and unpacking your practices and how you and who you are and how you've been shaped is connected to that. A little bit of what Perry said of unpacking himself, you used the term of sort of, I was unshedding, developing this sort of critical consciousness and awareness. And some of the ways you talked about doing that is through the language you use or the language you begin to uh, become exposed to through having those intentional conversations and seeking out intentional conversations that are gonna be hard um, to um, provide as a leader space, time, support, and resources to um, support practitioners on their journey of anti-racism, um, to think about communication and all the myriad ways, both among educators, but also with youth and honoring different youth cultures and the different ways we communicate and the different platforms used to communicate an anti-racist message um, and um, authentic commitment. I heard you talk about this idea of beyond sort of pageantry to, to practices, beyond platitudes to policies, right? Those shifts of being really authentic in the commitment and then um, uh, leveraging partners, district partners, colleagues, someone to um, help support you and push you. Um, and then final two points I thought were great. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's sort of what I heard. Always seek out within the context of anti-racist practice, um, being uncomfortable, being pushed. And then finally, anti-racism should be active. It's a verb. And it's one that you have to commit to on a daily basis. So those are, those are really great to build on, on Perry's. So Perry, I wanna offer it to you. Anything else maybe we have missed that you wanna offer in terms of anti-racist practices that you wanna put out there before Nikki closes us up? Yeah, I, th I think the shared language thing is huge, the definitions it just, you know, what, what does that really mean here? And then um, who's leading that then? And is it always the people of color or the most marginalized that are out in front of that? Because then if the most marginalized and their folks of color are the ones out in front of it, we know who's gonna be let go first, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to have the right people leading in that. And one of the, the big statements too, is it's not about you as individuals, you as the leaders, the individual, the one that's been wronging the children for this long, right? This has been, this is historical and understanding that history and understanding the system. And then how are we gonna work together to, to, to change that system to work for people, right? To work for everyone. Um, we need to recognize folks developmentally that are ready to go and that aren't going to polarize either right so there's a there's a balance in that that we got to get the folks the allies and the co-conspirators cool at the table that are going to allow us to push colleagues um and some we have to have different plans for right we have to talk we have certain certain ways to support yeah that's that's really helpful and thank you so much for for sharing that and contributing that that idea of being co-opted and one's own uh, perceived racial identity as a person of color, and if not tending to one's own critical consciousness, 
being leveraged and being co-opted to um, present a particular dominant narrative. And I think that is a powerful, um, a powerful practice that um, for those that also identify as people of color um, to tend to this idea of um, being aware of the many ways um, that we ourselves can be co-opted and our own racial identity or perceived racial or ethnic identity being appropriated uh, to uh, to reinscribe the status quo. So I uh, appreciate that. Nikki, I'll turn it over to you. I did want to say one thing about TikTok because Troya had mentioned TikTok when you were talking. And I don't even use TikTok. I'm sorry. I don't even know how to work TikTok, oh, but okay. I, just, I use TikTok. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not a creator on TikTok, but I, I watch it. It does amaze me and encourage me to watch folks use um, TikTok in ways uh, to educate and to um, keep conversations going and lively. And so, you know, the content that I do see and pertinent to our conversation, I think is, um, it's just an interesting window into how people operate and almost individualize um, movements and the and moments and um, sometimes galvanize as an entire group. So with, all right. So we are, um, so before we end our conversation today, I just want to remind our viewers to stop by our online equity resource library at www.greatlakesequity.org for an array of resources and supports related to anti-racist practice. So we have on our website links to our Communities of Care Virtual Coffee House series. These are ongoing. We also have a great resource in our virtual library right now um, that it was produced by Dr. Chasia Gonzalez and Hunter Brown uh, called A Virtual Little Library for Staying Connected. And so these stories feature uh, folks that are reading uh, children's stories to children. So um, please check that out with your um, your little ones and um, as well our Equity Digest, the uh, title and topic of which is Reimagining School Policy and Practice um, in Virtual Schooling. And if you're on social media, um, please follow us on Twitter at Great Lakes EAC, um, hashtag Map Equity. Uh, we're also on Facebook. We are not yet on TikTok, but um, please follow us and um, Share with us what you learned today, uh, again, by tagging um, hashtag math equity. This resource was brought to you by the Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center. To find out about other Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center resources, visit our website at www.greatlakesequity.org. To subscribe to our publications, click on the subscribe to our publications link located on the Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center website. The Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, a project of the Great Lakes Equity Center, is funded by the United States Department of Education to provide technical assistance, resources, and professional learning opportunities related to equity, civil rights, and systemic school reform throughout our 13-state region. The contents of this presentation were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. This product and its contents are provided to educators, local and state education agencies, and or non-commercial entities for educational training purposes only. No part of this recording may be reproduced or utilized in any form or in any means, electronic or mechanical, including recording or by any information storage and retrieval system without permission in writing from the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. 
Finally, the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center would like to thank the Indiana University School of Education Indianapolis at IUPY, as well as Executive Director Dr. Catherine Kintorius, Director of Operations Dr. Cena Skelton, and Associate Director Dr. Tiffany Kaiser for their leadership and guidance in the development of all tools and resources to support the region.